everyone, or almost afternoon. Uh, my name is Brad. And um, I'm part of the coastal region. And uh, Jeff is gone, and Alex is gone, Paul. I'm like the fourth string quarterback. I'm like, all right, Brad, you get in there, you preach a sermon. So I'm here today, and I'm excited to preach the word of God. Um, uh, I'm married, married for about a year, almost two years. I'm excited for her. Um, my wife actually has been gone this past weekend. She's at a women's retreat with her mother in Indiana, getting time of fellowship with her mom, uh, who's also part of our fellowship, which is awesome, but kind of home alone. So I've been like trying to eat leftovers and fan the past few days. I had a work cookout yesterday. After that, I like grabbed like four high dogs, like a barbecue. I'm eating it for like dinner, eating today for lunch. So I'm trying to make ends meet. My wife is gone. Uh, so, so guys know when the wife leaves. The kids probably starve, but amen. <laughs> but does uh, anyone know what today is? September 24th. We are three months and one day away from Christmas. Right? I'm excited. I was at Walmart yesterday and they were already had like Christmas trees up already. I'm like, are you serious? But I remember as a kid being super excited for Christmas. I just was like the month of, thinking about it, ready for it. Um, the night before Christmas, I couldn't sleep. I was just so excited to get presents and what I was going to get. And I woke up early the next morning. My mom knows knocking on her door like, Mom, it's 6 in the morning. Let's go. Um, and we actually, my brother and I made up a tradition. We were like, hey, Mom, this is a tradition that you could open up one present on Christmas Eve. I don't know if it's true or not, but we made it up so we can actually get a present a day early. And it worked. So it was great. <laughs> but uh, it's even crazy how much Christmas can control ch- kids' behavior. You know, that song, uh, Santa Claus is coming to town. Uh, you know, you better watch out, you better not cry, you better not pout, I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming. I mean, kids are like, am I on the naughty or nice list? Even for me, my mom was like, hey, if you don't, if you just keep backing up, you won't get any Christmas this year. And I'm like, all right, I'll be a good kid, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll behave. It's just crazy how much it can really influence and affect, you know, a child's behavior. Uh, but, you know, through the, the book of Genesis, we've been setting this out for the past year. And it's cool just seeing how God uh, took, uh, created the world, created everything. And then he took Abraham and one man and told him plans to make him into a great nation. How right. uh, he talked about his promises. I'm going to give you all this land. Kings will come from you and all nations will be blessed through you. And it's for a while, it's God trying to convince Abraham, Isaac, Jacob that God will fulfill his promise. They didn't believe it quite yet. So God should help them believe and really trust that God will come through on his promise. But you look at Exodus, you really see it's not believing. It's actually realizing, carrying out God's promise, God's plan for Israel as they go into the promised land or leave Egypt. But at the end of Genesis, there's a shift for, for Jacob. Jacob goes from just believing, trusting God's promises to truly longing and desiring to see God's promises fulfilled. He wants to see it happen. He longs for it to happen. Uh, and so the title, title of my lesson today is Longing for the Promised Land. Amen. Over in Genesis chapter 47, you can turn there. Way in the beginning of the Bible, if you don't know. Uh, chapter 47, verse 20 to 31 reads, It says, Jacob lived in Egypt 17 years. 
and the years of his life were 147. When the time drew near for Israel to die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, If I have found favor in your eyes, put your hand under my thigh and promise that you will show me kindness and faithfulness. Do not bury me in Egypt, but when I rest with my fathers, carry me out of Egypt and bury me where they are buried. I will do as you say, he said. Swear to me, he said. Then Joseph swore to him and Israel. Then Joseph swore to him and Israel worshipped as he leaned on top of his staff. And, and you know, it, putting your hand on your thigh was a huge sign of making an oath for a covenant with someone else that so you're going to, without a doubt, fulfill and hold to your promise. It's like a for kids, a bloody handshake or a spit handshake. It's kind of like you're still in the deal when you put the hand under the thigh. And, and Jacob made, Israel, or made Joseph, Joseph take a note. He said, promise me, do not bury me here in Egypt. I want to be buried in the promised land in Canaan's land where my father Abraham and Isaac are buried. In Hebrews eleven twenty one, it says, by faith, uh, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each, each of Joseph's sons and worshiped as he leaned on top of his staff. And here the same wording, how he worshiped God as he leaned on top of his staff. And, you know, what did Jacob worship God for? I think he worshiped God for what he did in the past, you know, of delivering him from the famine, allowing him to see Joseph and even Joseph's children again. He was excited. I got to see my kid. I thought Joseph was dead. Now I get to see him here in the flesh. But I think he also praised God for what he would do. He praised God for how he would deliver Israel and bring the whole nation to Canaan. He praised God for his son Joseph making that oath. You know, and, and the idea is if you have believed something's going to happen, you want it to happen. You're excited for it. You know, you're longing for it. If kids out of Christmas would come, they wouldn't be excited for it, right? <laughs> and, and so in a lot of ways, you know, if we believe something's going to happen, we're going to be excited for it to come. Yeah. Even in uh, Genesis 49, uh, two chapters over, verse 29 to 33, once again, you guys turn there. It says, uh, here's uh, Jacob, then he gave him these instructions. I'm about to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave in the field of Ephron the Hittite, the cave in the field of Machpelah near Mamre and Canaan, which Abraham brought as a burial place from Ephron the Hittite, along with the field. There Abraham and his wife Sarah were buried. There Isaac and his wife Rebekah were buried. And there I buried Leah. The field and the cave in it were brought from the Hittites. When Jacob finished giving instruction to his sons, he drew up his feet. He drew his feet up into the bed, breathed his last, and was gathered to his people. His very last words were, bury me in Canaan. Do not bury me here in Egypt. And you see the, how important this was to Jacob. You know, uh, his last words to his children. And, and uh, about a year ago, my grandmother passed away. And she lived in Suffolk. But she was actually in hospice um, five minutes from where I, where I live, uh, in Virginia Beach. And I remember, you know, she had cancer and brain, liver, other parts of her, of her body. But I remember going to visit her. And she would ask, hey, can you bring me some breakfast to eat? Can you bring me some clothes? Can you spend time with me? That she wanted these little things. And of course, you know, I honored those things because she was, you know, it was her, her, her wishes that she was about to pass away. But these are things that she really wanted, things she really desired. She desired to be close to her family. She desired, you know, for treats and snacks that she really enjoyed. Um, and, and it's just, you know, ultimately, the things someone says that they're about to die is the things that they... And the heart of hearts, things they really and truly desire and really, really want. And Jacob really, really wanted this. And, and, but why? Why did he care about where he was buried? Well, he knew Egypt was not his home. He knew his homeland was in Canaan. 
he never saw the promise fulfilled, but he, without a doubt he knew God will fulfill his promise. Jacob believed it wholeheartedly. And because of his faith, his sons also longed for the promised land as well. And it, think about the idea, though, that Jacob, Israel, the man was buried in, Egypt, or in Canaan. But the nation of Israel had to take the land. Their father, Israel, was already there. But the nation, Israel, has to actually go and take that land. Just the, the foreshadowing the faith that God would bring them to Canaan one day. And I'm sure it inspired them. I'm sure it was inspirational to them that when they were in the desert about to take the land, they're like, our father Israel is already there. He believed it. He didn't even see it. And he believed it. Right. He had faith. Why shouldn't we have faith? Or maybe they were in exile. They were scattered throughout many nations. And someone else inhabited the land of, of Canaan. They had faith that, you know what? God will give us this land again one day. And now Hebrews 11, verse 13 to 16, you don't have to turn there, but it says, talks about Abraham and Isaac. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. Admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had an opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Now, one point today, and it is long for the promised land. Simple idea. We have to long for heaven. And the more than you long for your team to play and win the game today, I know it's Sunday. More than you long for your favorite show to premiere again in October, September. I know a lot of shows come again this time of year. You have to long for the heaven. Uh, long for heaven, long for the kingdom of God. And I think the question is, how do you know if you long for heaven? Well, let's ask, how do you know if a kid is excited for Christmas? What do they do? They talk about it. They're like talking about Christmas, they want to get, what they want to like see. I hope I get that new iPad or the new bike. Or they're, just, they're just talking about Christmas and presents and they're super excited about it. They probably spend time daydreaming about it. They're like in class thinking like, what if I get this for Christmas and some money, I can buy this. You know, just mind wandering in class thinking about what they're going to get for Christmas. I'm sure it motivates them to behave, right? For those kids, they're like, Christmas coming up, I'm going to get a lot of good things. I'm going to get good grades and do well so I can get great presents for Christmas. But I'm sure the thought of Christmas even brings joy to their hearts. So they, they get excited just thinking about it, you know, about Christmas. Does that describe how you feel about heaven? Do you talk about it? Do you daydream about it? Does the thought of being in heaven one day make you excited? Does it bring joy to your heart? Does it make you want to live a righteous life because you know that you will be in heaven with God for eternity? You know, as disciples, that should be all of our hearts. You know, Hebrews 11, like I said, it says God's people are longing for a better country, longing for a heavenly country. Is that your heart? Is that your desire? But the question is, you know, maybe you don't always long and you're not always excited for heaven. We have to ask ourselves, why? What's so great about heaven? You know, maybe some of you guys imagine you're in heaven stroking the heart like the angels singing songs there along. You're just like, honestly, that is an excitement. I just, I don't like singing a lot. It's been my second, third song, singing for years and years. So I don't know, like, maybe that doesn't excite you. Uh, but Revelation 21 talks about how in heaven God will dwell with us. God will walk with us hand in hand. He will be among us. It also talks about there will be no more suffering, pain, or death. I know, uh, idea of suffering, you know, even 
uh, uh, you know, that people have had, you've had close family members, maybe aunts, uncles, grandparents who passed away. And just losing them, them passing away, the pain they go through, maybe it hurts you, right? But in heaven, there'll be no more of that. Uh, in Revelation 22, it talks about the curse of sin will be taken away. In Genesis 3, the curse of sin was uh, pain during childbearing. I know all the mothers are like, yes, that sounds great. This idea of the labor and the hours. I can't imagine. Women are strong. Uh, I feel like men can handle it. We just wimp out. But, but the fact that no pain, no childbearing uh, would, be, would be amazing. Talks about fruit, uh, not having any more fruitless labor. The idea that you know, you, when you work, you will see the fruit of your labor. The curse to, uh, to Adam was you will work and toil and not see the fruit of your labor. And so in heaven, we will work, but we will be fruitful and productive. And it will be great. It will be awesome. And also, we will be able to see God's face. You know, that in, in the Old Testament, they could not be even in the presence of angels. They would fall flatter on their, their face. They would say, I, I don't want to die. Like, don't look at me. They were just, but in heaven, we will be able to see God's face. And it's, it says that there won't be any light because the brilliance of God's glory will be just so bright and so amazing. It's going to just light up the whole, the whole new earth. These things sound exciting. Heaven sounds exciting. We have to be excited. We have to long for heaven. Uh, but like I said, maybe thinking about heaven doesn't excite you. Maybe it doesn't motivate you to live for God or, or, or seek God more. And I remember, uh, um, you know, Jeff and Kelly talking to my wife and I saying, hey, there's opportunities to get more training, get more, be more equipped for whatever God has in store, whether it's ministry or, or working, you know, full time um, while helping out with the ministry or being in the church planting. And my wife was like, hey, Brad, how do you feel about that? Getting more training? I was like, honestly... I don't know. I just felt a lot of fear and resistance to even just, you know, pursuing ministry or going after it or even just doing more for, for God. And I was starting to become comfortable. I was starting to become comfortable where I was in my career. I'm like, I'm making great money. She's going to start working soon, making great money. No kids. Life's going to be great. Um, you know, I enjoy working in the team ministry right now. I don't feel like super stressed and challenged, but it's awesome. It's great. Uh, but I wasn't surrendered to God's plan for my life. I wasn't surrendered to really have a heavenly kingdom view of my life. And, and I remember even at work, just having the heart to reach out to people at my job when, like, a guy had a Bible in his door. You know, or someone, hey, what did you do in college? Did you party a lot? And I would say, hey, no, I became a Christian. But now I just stopped looking for those. <laughs> but, but I stopped looking for those opportunities to really share my faith and really talk about God. Because I, I really just wasn't longing for the, for the heaven. I wasn't lo- longing for God's kingdom. Uh, and it, I have to fight and wrestle to really have a heart that really wanted to see um, God's kingdom uh, spread throughout the, the, the Hampton Roads area. To see my friends and family all go to heaven one day. Uh, and then Hebrews 11 says, you know, they were foreigners and strangers on earth. But I started feeling like a citizen, like a neighbor, like earth is my home. And I wasn't longing for heaven. And I, I had to really fight and wrestle through my heart, you know, praying of what, what are my fears with, you know, Giving up everything for God. God. If that's what God calls me to do. Like, what's holding me back? And I really have to wrestle with that. And I think for me, the biggest thing was just realizing that, you know, when, with, the, with earth, you get in what you put out. You put in this many hours at work, and you see the fruit of your labor. But being in the ministry, working to help people, you don't always see what, you, always, you, always, you always don't get in what you put out. You can invest 20 hours in someone's life, but they may walk away from God. They might not even become a Christian. It's just... For me, just the, the, the idea of having fruitless labor in the ministry, 
I was afraid of having that. And, you know, working on my heart, praying, really fighting to have a heart that's surrendered. So whatever God has in store for my wife and I, um, now or later, I think that's the heart that we all should have when it comes just to the kingdom of heaven. Because things on earth don't really matter. These things are all going to pass away. You know, they're, they're not going to last for eternity. Um, you know, so I think it's great to take time to really evaluate for yourself right now. How do you feel about heaven? Are you excited for it? Are you longing for it? Are you, are you waiting for Jesus to return? Or are you like, no, not now, Jesus. I want to do these things. I want to make these achievements before he returns. Now, where's your heart? Uh, I remember even, uh, but uh, two things that can stop us from longing for heaven is uh, faithlessness and being comfortable. Those are the biggest things that can hinder us personally for having a heart that longs for heaven. Uh, the idea of being comfortable. Egypt, or Israel was in Egypt for 430 years. That's a long time. You know, and they became a prosperous nation. They grew. They were up to like some million when they left Egypt. And uh, Egypt starts to oppress Israel. It starts to pretty much uh, put them into slavery, make life hard for them. And I think part of that was they were starting to become too comfortable. And I, I think God worked on Pharaoh's heart to give them a kick in the butt to say, hey, this is not my plan for you to settle here in Egypt. My plan for you is to go and take Canaan's land. And really to check them up in a sense and remind them that God has so many, so much better plans for you. Imagine Moses going to Israel saying, hey, Israel, let's go to Canaan. And they're like, Egypt is great. We have all this land, all this livestock. Life is easy. They would have been like, whatever, right? Let's be honest. But because things are so hard for them, they long for the promised land. And, you know, I was in Fiji doing a one-year challenge a few years ago. And there were times when Fiji was great, uh, great times with disciples, making great memories, working on campus, sharing our faith. But there were times when it was hard. When I had bed bugs in my apartment and in my bed, when I was like sleeping on the floor, when they had ants in our sugar and, and all our food, you know, in those times, it was uncomfortable. I longed for home. I want to come back home. I called my mom like, I want to come home now. I can't take it anymore. But ultimately, those uh, uncomfortable times drew me closer to God and helped me to really see God more clearly. Um, but I think the, the truth is, there's two different choices. We can either choose to be uncomfortable or God will make our lives uncomfortable, right? You know, that you can, you're like, why is life so hard for me right now? Why are things challenging with my, with my kids and at work? And what's, why is life so hard? Maybe it's God helping you to long for the kingdom of heaven, right? Maybe God's making the circumstances happen to help your heart long for, not the earth, but long for the heaven and Jesus to return. But also you can choose to be uncomfortable. You can choose to, Move to a new location, to join another ministry, to, to advance God's kingdom and to really help people go to heaven. And maybe stepping up to lead more in the ministry that God's calling you to do while you're working full time. But I want to commend you all here in South Beach because you guys all decided to come here to preach the gospel, to help people to learn about Christ. That you guys all have the heart to go somewhere different for the kingdom of heaven. And I want to encourage and commend you guys for making that faithful decision, making that faithful choice. To leave, or your, your Bible talk, to leave your, your region to help preach the gospel. But the thing is, is that still your heart today? You guys have been here for a while. Are you still saying, how can I be uncomfortable? How can I still advance the kingdom of God? Have you lost the heart and lost the fervor that brought you guys here to South Beach? We have to run towards opportunities and not away to be uncomfortable for the kingdom of heaven.
The second big thing that can stop us from being uh, uh, longing for the kingdom of heaven is faithlessness, right? You know, think about Israel. They were in the desert for 40 years. It was an 11-day journey from Egypt to Canaan. It took them 40 years to go an 11-day journey. Like, that's crazy. What happened? But they saw the promised land, and they were faithless. They were like, you know what? God will not deliver the promised land to us. And because of their faith, God took them around in circles and circles in the desert, and a lot of them died in that desert, never actually got to see the promised land. Um, and I think it's really cool seeing Jacob's faith. His faith to want to be buried in Canaan. But it's cool how that faith went down to Joseph. That Joseph also was like, you know what? Take my bones, leave them here in Egypt. But one day, you all will go to Canaan. And when that day happens, bring my bones to Canaan as well. That his faith passed down from the father down to the son. You think about that for Abraham. His faith went to Isaac to Jacob, and then to Joseph. I think for the parents, you know, how do your teens feel about the kingdom of heaven? You know, some may not be excited to become Christians. Or some may be resting in their faith and, and, and not really want to live a life that God's called them to live. But the thing is, the question is, do your kids know how much you really long and how much you really desire for heaven? In your conversations, your interactions with your kids, they know that nothing matters more to you than seeing them go to heaven and for you going to heaven as well. If you don't long for it, they're not going to long for it either. And Jacob didn't talk a lot about it, about Canaan, or he didn't you know, say much about it, but his actions spoke louder than his words. That the decisions, choices he made to be buried there spoke volumes to his children. I think as parents, the decisions you make for, for the heaven and for the kingdom will affect how your kids view heaven. Um, now the thing to really imagine for our, ourselves and our lives is what if we live every day of our lives longing for heaven, longing for Jesus to return. How would our Monday mornings look tomorrow? How would interaction with our, our, our kids or people at work or friends, how would they change if we all long for heaven? It would be amazing. It would be great. You know, think about what we would do, what we would say, how we would live, not caring about this earth, but really desiring wanting Jesus to return in heaven and to be in heaven one day. And I think for us, all it would be great to take some time this week to even pray, read, and think about heaven. To even dream about heaven, what heaven would be like and have hearts really are focused on uh, heaven. So the challenge from this uh, lesson today is to take five minutes. It's not a lot of time. You guys have it. But take five minutes one day this week to think about heaven and imagine what it would be like. To pray to God and really dream with God about heaven. Maybe even to read some verses about what heaven will be like. Have a biblical conviction on what heaven will be uh, and really see it, that, see it the way that God wants us to see heaven. And after you, you know, take time to really read and pray and think about heaven, talk to another person about heaven. Maybe it's a disciple or maybe it's a, non, a non-disciple, but talk to them about what you're most excited for when you go to heaven one day. All right. And with that said, um, to God be the glory.